Welcome to Preston Super Show. I have some headlines I want to share with you today. A few points I want to bring to your attention. And uh, we're going to have some fun throughout a hidden gem at the end of the show. Let's start with uh, an article out of foxnews.com in their their politics area here by Anders Hagstrom. And uh, he says GOP governor suspends all uh, 2022 executions, announces investigation. Governor Bill Lee cited an oversight in the lethal injection process. So let's parse through this. Republican Tennessee Governor Bill Lee has paused all executions in his state for the rest of 2022, announcing an investigation Monday into an oversight regarding the state's lethal injection process. Lee granted a last-minute delay to death row inmate Oscar Franklin Smith last week, who was scheduled to be executed April 21st. The state said, There had been an oversight in the lethal injection process, leading to the formula only being tested for lethality and sterility, but not for endotoxins. Lee has now ordered a third-party review of the state's lethal injection process, retaining former U.S. Attorney Ed Stanton to conduct the investigation. In a quote, Quote, I review each death penalty case and believe it is an appropriate punishment for heinous crimes, Lee said in a statement. Quote, however, the death penalty is an extremely serious matter and I expect the Tennessee Department of Corrections to leave no question that procedures are correctly followed. End of quote. Smith's execution was one of five scheduled to take place this year. And let me uh, paraphrase here uh, to finish this out because there's a lot more to this article. I'm going to link it for you. Credited on cited at the bottom of the uh, vi- uh, video, Lee granted the pause hours before the execution was to take place. So that's going to bring us to a few of our points today about this particular article, about uh, this particular issue, because that's what it is. It is an issue, um, no matter which way you slice it, no matter which way you look at it, it is an issue. And uh, we're going to address that here. Lives got saved today, folks. That begs the question, why not do away with the death penalty? Here in Illinois, we don't have it. And I would argue having a death penalty doesn't make a difference in crime going up or down. I'd say that is what's in people's hearts. Okay. Tennessee is a nice state. I've been there and I can say that firsthand. So I don't mean to, you know, trample on anybody's opinions but that that's my opinion that's what you came here for so now we're moving on to something very important that i want to bring to your attention that's not getting the attention it deserves the supreme court of the united states rules against the city of boston in a flag flying case and a wham bam the supreme court has ruled against the city of boston in favor of the defendant shirtliff representing a camp and uh, we're going to go into this and talk about this Here's an article by Ron Blitzer from Fox News. Because they give you the article for free, I like Wall Street Journal, but if I'm not getting the article for free, I'm not going to be uh, parsing through it, obviously. Supreme Court of the United States unanimously rules Boston violated groups' rights by refusing to fly Christian flag, published today on May 2nd. Supreme Court said Boston violated the camp's free speech rights. So let's 
parse through this here and work this out. The Supreme Court ruled unanimously that a program of the City of Boston that allows outside groups to fly flags at City Hall must permit the flying of flag with a cross that a camp referred to as a Christian flag. That's in quotes. Move a little bit farther into the article, skip a little bit here, get to the, the meat and potatoes so I can make my points. That way it all comes full circle. Boston argued that flying the flag was government speech because it was the city's flagpole. Indeed, the pole is normally used to fly the flag of Boston. When it is not used for this program, okay, during oral arguments, the city's attorney, Douglas Harry Halward, Dreemeyer noted that the city's website says we commemorate flags of many countries and our goal is to foster diversity in quotes, which would indicate that it is the city's decision to fly the flags in order to promote its own message. Attorney Matthew Staver, representing Shirtliff, argued during oral arguments that the city's policy specifically used the phrase public forum in quotes which would indicate that the flags would be an expression of the private speech of the group that applied. So let's move a little bit forward here. Let's speed up. This is going to get a little bit detailed, so I want you to pay attention to this, because after this, you know, this lesson's done. The First Amendment's free speech clause does not prevent the government from declining to express a view, says Breyer. When the government wishes to state an opinion, to speak for the community, to formulate policies, or to implement programs, it naturally chooses what to say and what not to say, Breyer wrote. That must be true for government to work. End of quote. In case like this, in cases like this, where a government invites the people to participate in a program, he continues, the boundary between government speech and private expression can blur. Okay. Let's finish this out. In order to decide whether speech like the flag program is government or private speech, Breyer said the court has to take a holistic approach that looks at the context of the situation. In the past, he said the court has looked at history, the likely public perception of the speech, and the extent to which the government has actively shaped or controlled the expression. Breyer stated that the general history of flag flying would support Boston but that this is only our starting point before looking at the history of this particular flag flying program. Okay, so now to close this out and they can bring you my points and why this is so important. In quotes, Breyer wrote, the city's practice was to approve, approve flag raisings without exception. Upon concluding that the flag program was not government speech, Breyer next turned to the question, of whether denying Shirtliff's application was viewpoint discrimination that violated the First Amendment. In a brief analysis, the court ruled that it was indeed. Boston had acknowledged that they denied the application because of its religious content due to their belief that it would have been government speech. Once the court decided that there was no government speech involved, that spelled the end of the city's case. In quotes, and to finish this out, under our pre precedences, and in view of our government speech holding here, that refusal discriminated based on religious viewpoint and violated the free speech clause, Breyer wrote. So, it's very interesting. Let's talk about why this is important. 
Let's talk about what this really means. Let's talk about the the angling, the timing, the choice of wordage is uh, very uh, hyper political, and really to kind of argue uh, against it isn't my purpose or my point. Kind of what I like to do is just put my spin on things, my take on everything. You kind of bring it into full uh, focus for everybody because that's what everybody wants. That's what you came here for. That's what's important. So that's what I try to give you. And, you know, a lot of times everybody says what they want, but I try to keep it real. Honorable Justice Breyer uses an interesting choice of words, respectfully, some lawyer double speak in there, but overall his message is concise with his values. That's where the Democrats try to pick up political points, building a virtuous platform, then picking and choosing their battles. Republicans have core values and then defend those values, and that's one stark contrast between the two major parties. I like how Boston, uh, the city, tries to use religious liberty, their lawyers do, as as a defense, when it's really the other way around. And I'm glad the Supreme Court, including Breyer, was able to weed that particular issue out. So coming up on the show, I have the best USL, USFL team coming up for you. I'm going to tell you, and we're going to recap the, the four games this weekend. Then, a quick Packers draft class recap for 2022. And then I have the hidden gem for you. Don't forget, I'm going to give you a great hidden gem. You're going to love it. Be right back after this. Hey, we are back. Thank you for tuning in to Preston Super Show. and you're going to get the best team out of me, the best USFL team. I'm going to tell you who the best is right now. But right before I do that, let's break down the four games. You can wait a little bit. Waiting is good. And it's been a great show so far. Thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in. It means a lot. Make sure to like and subscribe. Share with 10 friends. Let everybody know the Super Show is ready to roll. And let's talk about the game that sticks in my mind the most. Tampa Bay Bandits versus Houston Gamblers. Wow. Houston had that one. They had it won. And uh, I feel bad for the people that bet on Houston because Tampa Bay came to play at the end of that one. And uh, they just talk about a team being deflated. You know what I mean? Like just deflated at the end. And Houston's defense was tired, man. They've been on the field for a long time. Their offense got stagnant. Um. And then here comes Tampa Bay, and led by Jordan Tamu. He really wants to win. He's a go-getter. He's trying to lead Tampa Bay to do something real. They go 2-1 and one on the season. They win 27-26 to 26 in the final. Houston Gamblers go 1-2 and two on the season, surprisingly because their defense is one of the best. You can argue they are the best defense. Easily. You could easily argue that they are the best defense. Um. But Tampa Bay, wow, hats off to them. Then look at Birmingham Stallions versus New Orleans Breakers. And New Orleans Breakers, uh, they are the hype train. And that ran out this week. That ran out this week. They deflated in the second half. Good first half. Here they come. They're doing their thing week three. Seems like they got it figured out pretty good. And then Birmingham Stallions, it's going to be hard for them to lose at home, right? Like all these games are being played in Birmingham. So a little bit hard for them to lose. They're three and zero. They win twenty twenty uh, two to thirteen 
over uh, the New Orleans Breakers, who go two and one. They're a good team. They just it seems like there were a lot of hype this week, and uh, that might have gotten their head. But sla- uh, slaughter in the second half, especially in that fourth quarter, was a no show. Zero points in the fourth quarter. Goose egg. Um, and the Stallions just roll, man. They they have a good running situation. Like they figured that out. Um, Smith passing the ball is very underrated. Probably the second best, third best quarterback in the USFL. Um, that guy can really play some football. I'm really happy with the product that uh, the Birmingham Stallions are putting out on the field. And uh, also Tampa Bay and Houston are putting out a good product. Now, someone who's not putting out a good product is the Pittsburgh Maulers. They lose to the Michigan Panthers 24-0. to And the Panthers are a team that was going to get going. Like You see it on those guys' face. They just, those first two games, they wanted to win so badly in those first two games that they just let the fundamentals escape them. Like, that's what happens. It happens. I've seen it before. I played football in high school. We had a team beat before. I remember this team, Bolingbrook. We had this team fucking beat. They were fucking, they were, they were digging in deep. And, uh, all of a sudden we lost track of our fundamentals and the defense is giving up crazy stuff. And all of a sudden we lose by like a point or something crazy. It was like, are you kidding me? You know what I mean? These, these guys, we were crushing these guys today. So that's how it goes. And this is how this game went, except the Pittsburgh Maulers didn't put up a good, as good a fight as we did. Um, the Maulers really, something's got to change for that team. That's the team that has the coach that fired that guy for uh, declining to eat the chicken salad. That's ridiculous. So, yeah, no wonder those guys aren't playing hard for him. Um, and I'm glad Michigan ran it up on them. And they should have ran it up higher. They should have got it up in the 30s. But that's okay because now Michigan's starting to figure it out. So we'll be looking for them to rebound. That's going to be the rebound team because they were a little bit rocky, I guess you could say. But um, they were hanging in there against teams. They didn't. They didn't like not compete like this, like the Maulers did here. And that's sad for Pittsburgh. Like Pittsburgh, you think of a tough team, an ironclad team, and they are far from it, folks. They are far from it. The Pittsburgh Maulers are bad, bad news in the USFL. But see, every league's got to have a bad team. The NFL has plenty of bad teams. You know what I mean? Like, leagues have bad teams. Like, look at the NBA, Sacramento Kings. When, when's the last time they won something? So, Pittsburgh Maulers 0-3, Michigan Panthers 1-2. We'll move on to the last game. I'm going to give you the best team. You already know. You may know. Maybe you know. But this was a great game. And i seen this one coming. I had the New Jersey Generals winning this over the Philadelphia Stars. And uh, they won 24-16 to in a good game. The stars are getting better. Um, so there's just a lot that's going right for them. But in this game, it was just too much the other way. Like New Jersey has a stud quarterback. So that's going to be just like tough for them to deal with. And Victor runs the ball hard for New Jersey generals. They're not scared to kick the field goals. So if if worse comes to worse, they're they're just going to keep pounding the rock against you if you're not going to stop them, and that's what happened in this game. They just kept pounding the rock, and that was it. It was done for the Philadelphia Stars. The fourth quarter came, and New Jersey just opened it up, and they have a solid quarterback. So 
like I said, for me, it's just going to be hard to beat that New Jersey team in the, in the long run. But the team right now, the best team right now is the Birmingham Stallions. They have the home field advantage every game. And the crowd gets there's a, uh if you look, if you pay have paid attention, the most people are there for that game, the Birmingham game. So that's just the home they have they'll actually have a uh an advantage. So that's something to be wary of. But that's going to be probably a good team to go over on. And if you, they become an underdog, uh, just like the New Jersey Generals, if they become underdogs, then that's very likable. So remember that. There's my tip for you, my USFL tip, Preston's best tip. You know, New Jersey Generals become an underdog. Birmingham Stallions become an underdog. Houston an underdog. You want points with Houston because they'll choke it away. But these other two teams, Birmingham and New Jersey, they're not going to choke nothing. So now we're going to move on to the final part of the show, which is probably the best part of the show, in my opinion, the Packers 2022 NFL Draft. You see it at the bottom, some of the big selections they had. Let's talk about some of these names. First round pick, uh, 22nd pick on the board, Quay Walker, linebacker out of Georgia, um, on the Packers website. They say his uh, full name is Joaquavian Joaquise Walker. He was rated the number two linebacker prospect and top 35 overall recruit nationally out of Crisp County High School. Um, and he played big time, uh, at, Ale- at, uh, Georgia, excuse me. And he played big time for that winning the national championship. So then the Packers come right back and draft another, uh, defensive li- uh, lineman here. Uh, first linebacker that can't play defensive lineman, but they'll probably him in the linebacker position more. Because they run a 3-4. So they got three down linemen, four linebackers. And they don't blitz that much in Joe uh, Barry's defense. So the Devontae Wyatt. um, You know, it's an interesting scenario with him. Because he's, you could say he's better. He's a better pick. So they even, they they really stole the show in the first round. By nabbing two uh, defensive players that could have, uh, can plug and play with any team. Then you have uh the pick they really needed. Like, they needed that grand slam pick. Everybody knows that they're missing wide receivers. Like, they lost three wide receivers. Technically, they probably lost four because we don't know what the Devin Funches situation is. I think he retired. I don't know for sure. But, uh yeah, it's not, it's not looking promising on the end of wide receiver. You got Randall Cobb. You brought in Sammy Watkins. Who was who's ready for a new team? Sammy Watkins was ready for a new team. So this is going to be a good year for Sammy Watkins, I do believe. Because I feel like just watching him play, he was ready to go. So he's ready to get out where he was. So I think now uh, you have to really, really take into account that the Packers have like had the advantage over a lot of teams by having that one wide receiver that no one can stop. Like No one can stop Devontae Adams. So now it's going to be interesting to see how that works with the Las Vegas Raiders, because they already have some other weapons too. You know, the Las Vegas Raiders, if they're not the number one offense next year, then that's a bad deal. Like, that's a bad deal if they're not the number one offense, because if not, folks, come on. You got one of the best tight ends in the NFL, and you got now one of the, the probably the best receiver in the NFL. So now the Packers really have a patchwork group of wide receivers. And, you know, when they won the Super Bowl, they really had three or four receivers that were reliable. That was what they had. They had a couple tight ends that were good. 
it was the wide receivers that stole the show and the defense that stole the show. And more so on the defensive side uh, when the Steelers started coming back. And see, that's what the Super Bowl will do. A team's going to get out to a lead. <clears throat> then the other team's going to come back, and it's going to be, can you withstand them? Or are they going to overcome you? So the Packers really stole the draft, <clears throat> in my opinion, because they had so many picks. But I really believe because of those two first-round defensive players from the national championship team, they're going to come in and make an immediate impact in some spots that we fo- folks really needed. Folks, we really needed some athleticism, some physicality on the line, um, and we needed some help, some relief for these linebackers. Um, and you got to remember, too, every team's going to have those injuries. So that's a part of the game. So it's good to have backup players. I'm never going to be against getting backup guys in the draft. Um, even filling out the practice squad because you build through the draft. Um, and if you don't, then you end up having to deal with all of the, uh, free agency. So it's going to be interesting to see how Jerry Montgomery handles the new defensive line. Uh, but the pick I want to talk about, Christian Watson, North Dakota State. Um, really, uh, the, one of the best picks you could have gotten um, in this draft. Uh, and he's the wide receiver we needed. Really the wide receiver we needed. And uh, on the FCS level, yes, he got it done. North Dakota State University. But put some respect on that program, number one, because they, were, they had some good games, <clears throat> some tougher competition out of the FCS. They didn't play every game in the FCS. And when he was out there, he was a stud. And that was just completely true. Uh, then we we'll speed it up here. Go to Sean Ryan, offensive lineman out of UCLA. Great pick because UCL, UCLA has great, uh, offensive line coaching and, uh, training there at their facility. And then, uh, you have a guy who was, who's been there for a while. So it's good to see him get picked. Uh, then the pick, then the Packers go back and grab another wide receiver out of Nevada, which is very good because this is a guy who's played in some cold weather. This is a guy who's not going to be scared to play in the cold. Um, played in Snoop Dogg's Youth Football League. He, he's he been about football his whole life. He loves football. So you got a football guy, a wide receiver again. Kind of reminds me of Randall Cobb, Um, and, and that's going to be a good uh, pairing there. Then you have Zach Tom, a real football name. Like, this is what I really wanted to say, a real football name right here, Zach Tom out of Wake Forest. Do you remember Wake Forest this year when they would, like, just keep scoring and scoring against these teams and the other teams will score against them. Well, Zach Tom, there you go. He's one of the offensive linemen pushing that pile forward. Now you got another linebacker who really teams, I wouldn't say overlooked. I would just say that it just wasn't the right time yet for them to pick the him. And that was Kingsley Inagbar, a linebacker of South Carolina. And the thing about him is, it's going to be great to see what he can do on the pro level because after he returned from injury, he was really productive, and now he gets to go get in the NFL. He gets to get around some of these pros. He gets to play on this next level and uh, back up and reinforce that defensive front. It's huge. It's massive. Then you get Tariq Carpenter, who we needed him in the sa- as, at that safety spot. Um and he's had a few picks and 
really been good in in uh in man coverage and and also in zone. So he can he's versatile and he's going to be good for Joe Barry's defense. Then you got Jonathan Ford out of Miami, which was a steal. Miami, uh, a lot of their players have been overlooked, and their defense is actually really good. Kept them in most of their games. So, Jonathan Ford, there you go. Rashid Walker, offensive tackle out of Penn State. That was a big pick because he should have went way earlier, in my opinion. But uh, he's got all the mechanics to to become a, a, a legendary offensive tackle, and he's going to be on the field with Aaron Rodgers at some point. So, it's going to be massive for him and massive for Rodgers to – Kind of help give him the tips and working with, and also him working with that offensive line about the nuances of the NFL game. Now you got uh, the last pick, wide receiver out of Nebraska. It's a huge pick, right? They went to, they went South Dakota State, Nevada, Nebraska. So they like this, this from the plains to the mountains to the valley. Samurai Tory, six foot one wide receiver. Um, he's going to be a quick receiver. He's going to be able to uh, pretty much be an impact player right away. <clears throat> and I'm looking forward to him uh, joining the Packers. And his merchandise is going to sell huge with that name, Samurai. Uh, they really stole the draft. I think the Green Bay Packers had the best draft, A+. Plus. I, don't th- I don't see how you could do better than that. You got Rogers, Aaron Rodgers, three wide receivers, made up for the losses. You're not going to fill the shoes of Devontae Adams, but what you can do is bring in those guys now that are going to hold on to the ball in clutch moments and clutch time because that's what it's coming down to for the Packers. It seems like Rodgers is going to get you where you need to be, but in clutch time, receivers dropping the ball, receivers not hanging on to it when they when they fall. So all that stuff, here's, here's all these guys have been scouted for that reason because the Packers front office knows what they're looking for. They've always built their draft. They've won a Super Bowl in this, in this, uh, in, you know, not, not too long ago, 2010 Super Bowl, 2010 season. They, they rocked it. So just keep an eye out for your team's, uh, draft. Uh, I always believe in teams building through the draft and not free agency. You want to be kind of bolstering your roster with free agency. Like, you know what? We have this, this, but we're missing it here. Here's a free agent that's going to fit our needs. That's what free agency is for. Sometimes one of those stud guys is just on the market. You pick them up, but that is not what you want to count on. You want to be counting on the draft and building through the draft. So now it's time for the hidden gem, which you've all been waiting for, which you've all been hanging around for. It's a new app on the app store. Well, it's not exactly a new app, but um, it's new to me. And uh, it's being promoted on the Google Play Store. Go check it out on iOS. It's called Force Teller, all one word. Force Teller. And that's an app. You need to go check that out. That is today's hidden gem on this episode. Thank you for tuning in to Preston Super Show. God bless you. Um, just like the hands of time, I'm turning it over to you. God, please bless this word. Please bless everybody that listens. In the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. And make sure to uh, edify Saint Athene, Athene, see us today um very important uh for members of the faith uh saint athanasius on may 2nd today uh god bless you all palms 37 4